Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. This week I'm coming at you pre-recorded, so if I miss any fascism in the intervening days, uh, don't worry, I'll get to it next week. Specifically, I'm talking about the QAnon conspiracy theory, which advocates for this, you know, this idea that there's like a secret inauguration day, like the real day that Donald Trump will be inaugurated president, uh, which according to the conspiracy theory slash prophecy slash postmodern religion uh, is March 4th, uh, this Thursday, yesterday, when this podcast comes out. Uh, so if I miss some shit, then I We'll talk about it next week, possibly even in a special episode if it's important enough. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the CPAC and AFPAC events that happened last week in Florida. I'm also going to have a twofer see you in hell, including an Italian poet and war hero and the founder of the most successful right wing media news platform in the United States. Last weekend saw the annual meeting of CPAC, Conservative Political Action Committee, an annual gathering of conservatives in the United States. It's the largest and most influential meetings of this kind. Uh, It was held in Florida uh, last year when it was held at the very beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. It turned out to be a super spreader event, of course. This year probably was again, uh, since there were a lot of people not wearing masks. uh, But it's Florida. What can you do? I guess they seem to be a lot more lax about that sort of thing. Much of the event proceeded in exactly the way that you might expect. Uh, I'm going to be focusing primarily on the speech made there by recently former President Donald Trump. This was one of his first big speeches, one of his first times speaking out publicly at all uh, after he lost the presidential election and the inauguration of Biden January 20th. Honestly, the speech was pretty standard. It was pretty lackluster. It was pretty normal uh, as far as President Trump's speeches have gone, uh, doubling down on the rhetoric that we saw him focus on throughout his presidency, primarily anti-immigrant ideology, you know, talking about building the wall and talking about, you know, immigrants not being people that the United States wants to have in the United States, um, doubling down on transphobia, and of course, uh, seriously, constantly reiterating Uh, his claims that the election was stolen from him. Uh, He even specifically threatened to, quote, win for a third time, uh, a reference to his possible uh, run for the presidency in 2024. Now, Trump's appearance at this event and the rhetoric that he used at it is an indicator of his attempt to maintain control of the Republican Party, uh, to really solidify the realignment of the Republican Party in his direction. Uh, He also, in the speech, specifically singled out for vitriol and criticism Republicans who voted to remove him from office, who who voted against him uh, in his second impeachment trial. Uh, He called them rhinos, you know, Republican in name only. Uh, He specifically singled out a lot of these people and said that they were going to get primary challenges, and he is correct. Uh, This ongoing contestation within the Republican Party about, you know, what the party is going to be, what it's going to look like, That's going to be the content of Republican Party politics, especially as we enter the midterm cycle for 2022 and most definitely for the presidential election of 2024. Whether or not Trump personally runs, it's going to be about seeing whether or not his attempted realignment of the party in a more nationalist direction uh, is going to take hold if it's going to continue. Also held this weekend, also in Florida, is the similarly named but very different AFPAC, the America First Political Action Committee. Now, this organization is a sort of mimicry of CPAC, of course. Uh, It was founded by one of the leading members of the alt-right, Nick Fuentes, who is 
possibly the most influential of the right wing ideologues today. He's a prominent YouTuber. You know, he's Gen Z. He's young. Uh, he was present both at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville in 2017 and was also present on January 6th during the attempted coup at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Michelle Malkin was also president. She is a prominent right wing ideologue and political figure. But the keynote addresser of the event of AFPAC uh, was a person named Paul Gosar, a currently sitting representative from the state of Arizona. Of course, he's a Republican. Now, Fuentes's points during the conference were basically all about white demographic decline. You know, he's, he's arguing that the United States needs to protect its, quote, white demographic core from assaults, both cultural and literal. You know, he's talking about the denigration of the racial stock of the United States. Like, look, this is the explicit rhetoric that they're using here. Paul Gosar was a little bit more circumspect, but was, of course, talking uh, the nationalist talk just in a more Fox News kind of tone. Nick Fuentes's clear object here is to make AFPAC the the go-to place for gaining extreme right-wing support in the United States. He wants to position his followers and his supporters as a real constituency on the right wing in the United States, as a, as a legitimate political constituency that the Republicans can use electorally and politically and also for political violence. And Nick Fuentes is clear and very transparent about his support of the attempted coup, about his support for political violence, about his support for storming the Capitol, for assaulting and potentially kidnapping congresspersons, for for making them afraid. His clear and transparent goal is to create an honest-to-God fascist base that the right wing in the United States can use and ultimately rely on for political organizing. And unfortunately, it seems as if he is having some success. He's gaining some traction in this. We're going to have to see exactly how that plays out in the coming years. Now we return to See You in Hell, a weekly segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. We got another two for this week, one from Italy and one from the United States. We're going to start in Italy with the poet D'Annunzio. Uh, D'Annunzio was a poet and intellectual of the sort of romantic post-enlightenment bent uh, from Italy in the late 19th century. Now, he made a name for himself as a literary figure, but also then joined the fighting in World War I in the Italian army uh, in a sort of nationalist turn, in a major nationalist turn, not unlike a lot of other literary figures of his type. Uh, however, his fighting in World War I actually got him a lot of renown as a soldier, and he ended the war not as a literary figure, but as a sort of national uh, military figure, as a national military hero, uh, conquering hero type. Uh, and he transitioned from there to being a revanchist political leader, uh, a political leader who specifically advocated for the return, quote unquote, of territory to Italy that they had lost uh, since uh, Italian unification in the 19th century. To that end, he got a group of people together in 1919 to invade the city of Reggia, um, or Fiume, depending on who you ask, uh, which is a city in what is now Croatia uh, that has been claimed by Italian nationalists uh, for several centuries. Uh, he invaded the city and took it over uh, with this uh, group of, you know, squadristi people. And they set up a sort of radical, romantic, fascistic, uh, corporatist occupation government uh, that lasted only about one year from 1919 to 1920. Uh, they were then, of course, expelled. They they couldn't maintain control of the city. And 
um, when Dionysio returned to Italy, he sort of left public life as such. You know, he 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 wasn't like a major demagogue giving speeches out in the streets. Uh, he wrote letters. He he continued to pin uh, opines to Italian nationalism and was a major influence on the nationalism and fascistic aesthetic of Mussolini's fascist party. Now, Dionysio was never a capital F fascist. He never joined the Italian fascist party, uh, but he was definitely a lowercase one. And in that sense, he was a rival of Mussolini, not a collaborator of his. Uh, he was deeply critical of a lot of Mussolini's policies, particularly joining alongside uh, the Nazi party in World War II. Now, Dionuzio never saw the conclusion of the Italian fascist government because he died of a stroke on March 1st, 1938, and was given a, you know, a luxurious, beautiful state funeral uh, by Benito Mussolini, a fitting way to close the chapter on one of Mussolini's main political rivals in Italy. Now, for our second person that we're going to celebrate the death of, uh, we turn to the United States, the contemporary era. Uh, we're talking about Andrew Breitbart. Andrew Breitbart uh, is most famous as the founder of Breitbart.com, uh, but we're going to get to that in a second. Breitbart was born and raised in an affluent uh, L.A. suburb. Um, he was adopted by his parents, uh, who were of Jewish ancestry, and so he was raised Jewish, uh, although he was not ethnically Jewish himself. Uh, he spent his youth as a sort of, like, you know, normal-type liberal, um, but transitioned in the 90s uh, to a more, what he described as sort of libertarian bent Reagan conservatism. That is a very generous descriptor of Breitbart's politics. Um, he was instead, and should best be understood, as a right-wing political opportunist and newsman. Uh, he wrote uh, extensively for a lot of newspapers uh, in his early career. This is in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, he wrote for Washington Post and eventually helped found Huffington Post, uh, which presents itself as a sort of like moderate news aggregator service, um, but which has been accused pretty, pretty reasonably of having a somewhat right wing bent. Then, of course, in the late 2000s, he founds his own site, Breitbart News, which, if you haven't heard of it before, is the premier far-right news site. Uh, it's lost a little bit of its luster since 2015, 2016, um, but it was a real, you know, melting pot on the right wing. It was a place where both fascists and, you know, your more right-wing conservatives could interact and get news from the same source. Eventually, Breitbart.com was led by Steve Bannon, who was the architect of Trump's win in 2016, but that, again, is getting ahead of ourselves. Because, of course... Bannon did not lead Breitbart.com until the death of Andrew Breitbart uh, of a heart attack on March 1st, 2012. Now, while Breitbart was not present for Trump's victory, uh, you can be sure that his construction of the right-wing internet ecosystem, you know, his, his, his creation of this, of this online media platform was extremely instrumental uh, for spreading the ideology that Trump used to win in 2016. So to both of these former right-wingers, Dionusio and Andrew Breitbart, we will see you in hell. That was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right with Craig Johnson. Uh, I want to thank Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. 
If you found this podcast useful, if it taught you something, if it illuminated something that you hadn't understood before, please share it with friends, family, and comrades. And also, I'm sorry to say, uh, I want to announce that I now have a Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism, no spaces. Uh, if you found this useful, please uh, help me uh, defray my hosting costs uh, for making this website. I figure I've been doing it for a year. Might as well start doing that thing. Anyway, I will talk to you next week. Thank you.